This episode of the Cyclist Magazine podcast is brought to you by Hammerhead. The Hammerhead Carew 2 is a GPS cycling computer that helps you unlock your truest potential and find your path forward. James, what feature particularly stands out for you on the Carew 2? It's the Carew 2's responsive touchscreen display. Its high resolution, full color, 3.2 inch screen makes it easy to read all my data, even when I'm suffering up a climb. While Hammerhead claims the scratch-resistant Dragon Trail glass can withstand my gnarly gravel rides and some pretty horrific British weather too. For a limited time, our listeners can get a free custom colour kit and exclusive premium water bottle with the purchase of a Hammerhead Carew 2. All you have to do is visit hammerhead.io right now, add all three items into your cart and use the promo code CYCLISTPOD at checkout to get yours today. This is an exclusive limited time offer only for cyclist podcast listeners. So don't forget to use cyclist special promo code. That's hammerhead.io promo code cyclistpod and get your carry to and a free custom color kit and premium water bottle today. Welcome back to the Cyclist Magazine podcast in association with Hammerhead. Welcome back to the Cyclist Magazine podcast. Uh, it's been quite a long time. I'm feeling pretty rusty and it's also pretty strange for me. I'm sitting in the same place, same chair, same microphone, but I'm looking at a very different bloke. Uh, and that guy is Anthony Walsh, a.k.a. the Roadman Cyclist, uh, who we have had on our podcast and he's been on ours before. Uh, so you might remember him, but if not, a kind of brief way of introducing him and i'll just let you say hello first anthony by the way because otherwise i'm just rambling yeah, hello james thanks for having me hey there you go there he is so there is a there is a guy here and it is anthony but i describe anthony kind of like if eckhart tolly was a cat one racer uh actually pro, pro probably pro conti level racer but had a kind of like love child with russell brand so this sort of cycling <laughs> guru you're into mindfulness but you're also into tire pressure but I know, probably the best way is to let you give a little brief synopsis of yourself. Sell it, what's your elevator pitch? Sell yourself take, to your audience. I could take so much positive and so much negative from that intro, but I'm choosing <laughs> only to take that Russell Brand was for a limited time a sex symbol. So that's what I took from that intro. <laughs> no, it is, I'll, I'll joke, it is great to be here. And, uh, you know, I had a brief little stint on your podcast back a couple of months ago and I had you and Joe. Uh, we're never too sure what happened to Joe. Uh, he just dropped off the face of the earth. Uh, but it's great to be in Joe's hot seat. Yeah, so Anthony's going to be joining us for uh, for the foreseeable, at least the next uh, four podcasts. And we've got some great guests lined up. Uh, today's episode, we're going to have Corey Williams from Legion fame. Uh, that's the Legion team, Rafa-sponsored, Specialized-sponsored uh, crit racing and also road racing um, US-based team. But uh, yeah, before that, I kind of wanted just to take this opportunity to enrich my life, Anthony, by exploiting and mining yours. You are a kind of coach. Well, no, not a kind of coach. You are a coach, but you're not just a cycling coach. You're kind of a bit more of a life kind of coach, but you apply a bit of that sporting philosophy to life. So I've got a bit of a problem, which has come up again, and you know this because I missed a meeting that we were supposed oh, to I have. I do know it, I know yeah, it. Exactly. I missed a meeting that we were supposed to have. Um, I have been told, this is very true, I've got terrible timekeeping. There's the kind of N plus one thing with bikes, and my girlfriend will say it's J plus 10. Whatever I say, James says it's plus 10 minutes minimum. So how do I keep a better diary? How do I keep better track of my time? What's wrong with me? 
I, I must say that almost none of my thoughts are original thoughts with, you know, my podcast, uh, the Roadman Cycling Podcast, I've had, I know, I'm up over 470 episodes. And what's been brilliant on it is I almost curate the best of other people's opinions. So I'm giving out advice, but it's like, there's actually a time tested, this used to be like in Roman philosophy, if you had one of the great philosophers writing a book, they all, often weren't writing the book firsthand, they were writing about their sage mentor. So I feel like that's my past to just pass on some of that wisdom from other people. But I actually wasn't a brilliant timekeeper for a long time. And I had one podcast guest, his name escapes me, but he dropped me uh, Nick Kumalasas. He was a US Special Forces Marine. And he was talking about the importance of timekeeping. And I was putting him the question, like, what lessons can we learn from the US Marines that we can apply and take into <laughs> real life? Right. And, like, if you get your timing wrong in that like people die like yes, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's real yeah. consequences so he gave me this one and it's like discipline equals freedom having an organized calendar gives you the freedom to express yourself in other areas of life without constantly mentally chasing yourself and for a long time i fought the use and the strict use of a calendar because i was like oh it's it's gonna curtail my spontaneity i don't want to be that type of person I chose after qualifying uh, for seven years in university, I chose not to practice in law because I just seen it as a a vessel that was going to contain my creativity and my spontaneity. So I fought hard against the use of calendars and stuff like that to run my day until I chatted with him and it just opened it up for me. Because what they also allow you to do, which is really cool, if you look at like what are your four or five values in life, and, you know, you say your values are spirituality, health and fitness. I'm sure most people listening to the potty are cyclists. Uh, you know, family, spirituality, self-progress. And you say they're your four or five values, but then actually look at your calendar and go, well, how much time have you scheduled in your calendar each week for each one of these values? And the calendar starts becoming a really integral tool to run and plan your day. So of those things, uh, how much time do you kind of schedule? And also, what do you do in that time? For spirituality, we'll take one, we'll take just spirituality. What are you doing there? How often? Is it just like spiritual Tuesdays, sit down 15 minutes, have, have a really deep think, bit of soul searching, bit more of a mindful practice, something that takes takes longer? I don't know. Yeah, so it's more like a date with myself in the diary. So like I'll look at my Google Calendar, especially on schedule on podcast guests, because uh, you know my podcast is full on it's six days a week so you're using this booking system where people can book into your calendar at all times but i schedule time like we talked this morning and after that i had a four hour like meeting with myself in the diary and that was like my most important meeting today it was unbreakable that wasn't getting moved for anyone and that was literally like going to the beach just sitting watching the tide coming in having a coffee sounds quite lonely when i say it back like that in, oh, yeah, au contraire, it sounds absolutely blissful. Four hours just to yourself. <laughs> no, I wasn't, I wasn't sitting watching the tide for four hours now. No, that's, I mean, that sounds delightful. And I, yeah, I definitely like to have a, a little piece of that. I think my, my problem with diary keeping is just keeping the diary, which is a really mechanical kind of thing, but it's making sure I actually write stuff down. This is so basic. I'm saying this and I just think, isn't this what, <laughs> isn't this what I was supposed to learn? Uh, probably about age 11. Writing things down that you need to remember in a place where you might be able to find them later. But then just actually remembering to then look at the diary. The journey for me in diary keeping 
really does also need to contain the referencing said diary so it becomes useful. I feel like this is a conversation you should have had with your therapist. <laughs> this is like... Well, there's no, this is... Uh, Anthony, this is now where you, you are my, now my self, self-styled therapist. You, you will be in this hot seat for the next four episodes and I will have more questions for you because I, this isn't just you taking over from Joe so that we keep the podcast going and it isn't just exploiting your amazing ability to find great guests. It is for me to improve my life through the back door with you. That, I mean, without the innuendo of the back door bit. We'll, we'll possibly cut <laughs> that. But you know what I'm saying. Um, you know, you are here to be my guide, please, sir. Did you see Joe Biden falling off his bike this week? Have you seen the Lantern Rouge uh, skit version of it? It's absolutely hilarious. I feel for the guy, though. Who set, who, who set old Joey? Old Joey. Who set him up on toe clips? Like, come on. That's what I'd fall out of toe clips. His bike was worth less than my short. That's no, but this is the strange thing. So there's two there's two things that spring to mind now. Number one is that John Burke um, is the CEO of Trek. His his father started Trek, and he's he's now in charge. And he's got some had some. I mean, I'm not going to use the word strange because Trek might. But he's he's had a very useful relationship with Trek, and he's he's sort of supplied uh, Trek bikes to um to U.S. presidents. Uh, but you can't kind of gift stuff like that because it's a bit of a bribe, so they have to buy them. So I think they just get really cheap ones. And I don't know what Joe Biden was on, but you often see really wealthy people, or or I think anyway, you know, people with a big uh, big profile on really crap bikes. And I'm not really sure why. Is it because they're cheaping out or just because they are, I don't know, I hasten to use the phrase uninitiated. Why is that? Because surely if you're Biden, you get yourself... I don't know, a speed wagon or something, some super trick <laughs> custom US bike. Well, I was looking at them because the only people you really see using tow clips are track sprinters. So I was like, I looked mm. at the pedals and I was like, Biden's packing some power. The cleats can't even hold Biden. Watch him explode <laughs> into this. I was looking at Biden full thinking like, dude, that is your hip. And my mom had her hip replaced once and it was... It took ages. Anyone that's known someone that's had a hip replaced is is not nice. So I, was, I felt I really felt for the guy, and I feel like you know he took it well, but but he, he crashed so slow, like it that's was like the worst, one kilometer. That's the worst. No, it's not. This is the miss. Like people always no, say, it oh, is. The, it is. The slow crashes are as bad as the fast ones. Like I've crashed at one kilometer an hour, like Joe Biden, and I've also hit a traffic island coming off the Pyrenees at a hundred kilometers an hour. And let me tell you, the hundred kilometers an hour is way worse than the one kilometer an hour one. <laughs> Yeah, but if anyone sees you crash at 100k an hour, and provided you can live to tell the tale, you're infinitely cooler than if you crash at one, at one kilometer an hour. That's the problem. There is a huge, I mean, we need to refer back to our sort of therapy sessions. It's the dent to the ego that takes the longest to heal. I don't know. Bones take ages. Like <laughs> The problem with that is like, so you hit the traffic island. I hit yeah. it racing a, I was racing on a French team and I raced in a race called Bassour de Basque and it's in the Pyrenees. So I hit a traffic island and I was that long in the air that I had time to contemplate my poor life decisions. And I was like, <laughs> why did you put yourself into this situation? This is going to hurt so bad. That's a proper uh, Johan Brunil moment where he went over the handlebars on um, uh, the descent of the Roslan. Colder Roslan. And there's a brilliant bit in his book where he's just he just describes sort of seeing sky, tree, sky, tree, then a lot of <laughs> suddenly a lot of tree. And the guy, the guy is one of those um literally, there's old footage of it and Phil like, like describing it. And they're, you know, they're literally all but pulling him up on a set of knotted together tubulars from the edge of this ravine. And blow me down, he gets back on his bike, he finishes the stage, he does retire the next day. But it is the most horrendous crash, no helmets. 
that's the other thing. Since we're on the subject of crashes, and I actually don't like talking about crashes, it's kind of a cyclist faux pas thing that we don't talk about crashes, but I, I think it's okay to talk about them on a podcast rather than out on so. the rise. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're in a safe space. We've established we're, that already. Yeah. I've got cushions dampening my sound and my crashing ability in this room. <laughs> if you haven't seen, or if listeners haven't seen Matt Bramier's crash in the Tour of California, it's I, it's roughly, you just if you put it into YouTube, Matt Bramier crash, Tour of California, you will look at this and think, because I, I know Matt as well, so I was looking at it and going, okay, like there's no way a human walks away from that. Like the speed he crashes at is insane and he T-bones the side of a car and it's it's mental. You just need to check it out. And then that becomes your new like uh, line in the sand where you can like measure everything against that crash go. It's bad, but it's not like Bramier in California. <laughs> is it worse? I do remember that one. He's coming around, uh, he's doing a really tight uh sort of like left hairpin yeah and the team car almost comes out of nowhere or comes out or comes into shot and he just smacks into it and launches over but it's not quite i don't know the johnny hoogland in the in the barbed wire we're really go, we're really going down a faux pas tunnel here <laughs> we should probably kill this now but yeah johnny hoogland in the barbed wire that's that's the worst that's one of the worst crashes of all time or yes skibby getting run over in comedy fashion in Roubaix. And we have, obviously, Corey Williams uh, joining us on today's podcast. And Corey's one of these lads who's made his career on the U.S. crit scene and haven't spent a year out on the U.S. crit scene. It's navigating the chaos of those crits. Crashing is never far from, like, it's almost part of the entertainment. Remember, you used to watch, like, Destruction Derby back in the day. (laughs) That's what it feels like being involved there. This July, you can get more from the Tour de France men's and femmes with GCN+. That's right, you can watch all 3,328 kilometres of the men's race and 1,029 kilometres of the Tour de France femme live and ad-free with zero interruptions. And there are even more ways to watch unmissable on-demand highlights at the touch of a button too, whether that's long-form, short-form, full-stage replays or just the final kilometres. You'll also get unrivaled analysis and expert opinion both before and after each stage in The Breakaway Show from the likes of Wiggins, Kelly, Contador and more. Paired that with exclusive Tour de France collection of films, GCN Plus is your ultimate Tour de France destination. All our UK listeners can currently get 25% off an annual GCN subscription. All you have to do is head to gcn.eu slash cyclist25. That's gcn.eu slash cyclist25. So, uh, welcome, Corey Williams. Uh, it's amazing to have you on the Cyclist Magazine podcast. Uh, we are back. You are our first guest after uh, a bit of a brief hiatus. So you've got a lot to live up to, no pressure. But just to introduce you to people this side of the pond, because you're in the States right now. Yeah. Um, Hence, it's looking nice and bright out there, early morning. Um, you are a racer extraordinaire. You started Legion um, with your brother, Justin, uh, a few years ago now. And you've kind of grown, not just as a team, but you've also grown um, as a group of people pushing a specific ethos. And that is one of diversity in cycling, something that cycling historically, you know, has been lacking. It is patently obvious. So it's a kind of... You exist in a really interesting space because I would suggest almost, and I'm going to throw this out to you, correct me if I'm wrong, you're almost something of a kind of a politician in the sport of cycling. <laughs> you, have a, you, have, you have political leanings and you are, you are changing, you and Justin and Legion 
is changing what we're doing. It's changing what we're seeing. I mean, I've, I've never heard it put that way, but yeah, he could uh, he could call it like that. <laughs> Politician on wheels. I like that. I could get behind that. <laughs> Uh, Corey, what's going on in the US scene at the moment? Uh, we got a little bit of news on, obviously, we've all been following that Mo Wilson, Caitlin Armstrong, Colin Strickland, but we're over the far side of the water. What's kind of the word around bike races? What's going on? Just tragedy or, you know, is it as crazy as it looks from the outside? Yeah, I mean... The crazy thing is that, yeah, it hit hit our community hard. We all had no idea what was going on. But that's more of like the the gravel side of things. Uh, They, you know, people show up to the crit races. And I mean, I think it's they talk about it, but I haven't really heard anything. Uh, I think that's more of, of the gravel community over here. You're just ready to, like, you're in the zone when you get to the the crit races and it's just, it's go time. There's no chit chat. No, man, I think, uh, I think it's been, it's been rough out here. You know, I I just had a child, uh, Justin's coming off of injury and, uh, Tyler Williams is also on his second child. So we're, we're kind of, uh, slacking a little bit. So we have a lot of work to do. (laughs) How's, how's that changed your approach to racing? I remember talking to Brian Holm once, uh, you know, quick step DS. And he said the best bike racers live at home until they're 35, have no children, and no girlfriend. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy, man. You know, like I'm, I'm like really strict, so I didn't really change anything about my training, but my body just could not absorb what I was doing because of the lack of sleep. So I've <laughs> been trying to get more sleep and uh, keep putting in the work. And is it affecting your program? Are you riding the slightly scale back program now? No, not really. Like, I, like I said, like just nothing. I'm like really inconsistent with how I feel because it's just no recovery i was getting like two and a half hours of sleep it's like i i spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago to uh, a time trial legend over this side of the pond michael hutchison and he has this theory that all stress is physical stress there's no such thing as non-physical stress like if you've you're worried about uh you know i'm sure as a first-time father you have no idea what you're doing any of my friends who've had a kid exactly. are like don't know what they're doing so but that causes a stress and that's a physical stress that compounds that cortisol and you know your body can only take so much before it starts saying like you know what i can't do this anymore yeah i mean some days i feel fantastic but then after that i have nothing so i've been i've been like working on trying to fix that and uh finish off the season strong you, you know, what for what it's worth on my inquiry, because I played this game of trying to balance work with training. After I came off full-time bike riding, I was like, like, I'm still training as hard as I ever was. Like, why am I putting on weight? Like, why are my numbers going down? I'm still doing like 20 hours a week. I'm still hitting all my sessions, but I was just getting slower and slower and slower because I hadn't accounted for my stress outside of the bike. Like I was trying to run businesses. I was trying to maintain relationships. And it wasn't until I started adding in strategies to reduce my stress, like stuff around meditation, cold therapy, saunas, like actually peeling away some Anthony time that I started to see performance go the other way again. Yeah, I mean, that's something I need to try for sure. I, I think uh, when I get on the road, I get to sleep a lot more, but it's still just not enough. I think it'll take me a little bit of time to uh, kind of figure out how to, to navigate my way through what, I'm, what I have uh, dealing with right now. So we'll see, man. So you're, you know, when you say out on the road, you're obviously talking about traveling around two races, but in your race calendar, you're looking at various different events, but you race a lot of criteriums. Um, mm-hmm. How does but and also correct me if i'm wrong but you were kind of you sort of came up through 
more of a traditional road racing background and were on uh, you know road racing team. How has yeah, your yeah. training changed over? It how does actually. it? It doesn't. No. No, it has not changed at all. I think for me, usually what I lack is strength. So yeah. like I still have to do big off seasons. I still do big hours, twenty five to 28 hours a week uh during the season i'm trying to do 20 so just trying to keep uh keep my endurance up man you mentioned there anthony you're still doing 20 hours a week or at one point you know if and when you can i'm always so critical how many hours a pro puts in to to bike sitting on you know chamois time basically turbo training out on the road whatever how many hours a week is it for you Right now or this week, I just got back from New York yesterday, and I'm trying to do 23 hours this week, and then about 20 the next week, and then off again to do another race. But James, you got to differentiate: training time and chamois time are not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> chamois time, I'm putting down 35 hours a week chamois time. <laughs> no, this is true. Sitting in a cafe in your bib shorts doesn't count. I know, no, I know that. I know that. No, that's yeah. That's and how and how much time do you would you sort of well, two two questions. How much time do you dedicate? You know, obviously, you just said you are a father, so it's very different now. But dedicate to kind of straight up resting, feet up, and what do you see as an ideal sleep schedule? <laughs> I have no idea right now. Uh, <laughs> what did it used honestly, to be? What did it used man, to be? At, well, I used to like sleep probably eight and a half, nine hours uh, a night. And that was enough for me and probably a nap, like 20, 30 minutes in the middle of the day. But now I'm like, I have a puppy as well. So I wake up, <laughs> I have to walk the dog probably a mile, I go out for about three hours, come back, deal with the baby, try and nap, walk the dog again, and then ride again, and then deal with the baby again. So I don't really have any any quarry time right now. <laughs> You know what, Corey? I can see Legion becoming a gravel team next year. <laughs> this crit <laughs> stuff's getting too hard. Hey, man, gravel gravel is changing as well. It's no longer for fun. You got these big World Tour guys showing up. So that that's down the drain as well. No one's having fun anymore. <laughs> yeah, do you think? Because that's an interesting one. We were talking about this on the show uh, a few months ago. Obviously, at the beginning, to our tail end of last year, the UCI is saying we're going to have sanctioned gravel races. And then suddenly we had Nathan Haas on the podcast. You know, he's gone from being like, I might just call myself an ex-pro to being like, no, I'm going to start up again as a privateer. And yeah. start, you know, now he's in, racing in his own design kit on a Colnago bike. And it's, I don't know, how does, how does that, you know, you, you're sponsored by Specialized. Specialized also sponsors Colin Strickland, for example. Um, how does that sit with the gravel guys that you know? Are they a bit kind of, you know, for want of a better word, pissed off? I just so the sad part is I don't know any like tr real gravel guys. I know uh, the guys that we have on our team that are also pro bike racers, uh, ruining gravel for everyone. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I don't know how the, the the pioneers of gravel feel, but I know that uh, it's it's no longer for fun. I think it's a a race, and it's basically road racing in America now. But you know what they're doing when I look at gravel and I look at guys, you know, Pete Stetney, who I've had on my podcast, one of the top guys, Lawrence Tendam, they're 
they're following your template, Corey. They're looking at building a brand. And I remember when we spoke previously, what was really interesting was your take on what a cycling team is. Because Team Sky became Team Ineos. And it's like, all of a sudden, well, what am I following? Who am I supporting? Exactly. Like the Lakers don't become, you know, the a completely different name the following year. They're still the Lakers and they have a different title sponsor. That's the mm-hmm. way you guys are. Like, I, I'm not totally up to date on who your sponsors are this year. It's like Rafa's with specialized, maybe competitive cyclists, but Legion mm-hmm. still stays the same. And I think that's where you guys change the game. Yeah, I think uh, everyone's noting how important social media is and how much money you can actually make off of having a decent social media. So now these guys are like Pete Stetna. Obviously, he's a great bike racer, but he's stepping it up on social media and is now a good idea for these companies to get behind them. You remember Tulsa last year uh, and going into the race, I remember just, you know, internet chat rooms and was it last year or the year before, but people were just like talking shit that you were like Instagram cyclists. You hadn't really popped and yeah, started winning. Right. Hey, I've been an Instagram cyclist my, as, as soon as uh, Instagram was a thing. So they, uh, you know, they've been saying that, but they can't show up and beat me. So they could just sit down, <laughs> sit behind the desk and keep typing. <laughs> so what was what was your what was your pathway into cycling then because from you know from our point of view over here in the UK and Anthony and Ireland we know that America has a really strong scene for developing athletes in NBA in American football their scholarships they take you places mm-hmm. but we also know that a US team wasn't invited to the Tour de France before 1981 so i'm assuming america has had a very amateur cycling scene so how did how did you get into it because it's hard enough over here and there's british cycling like let alone in the states so basically my dad raced bikes he was like a mid-level category three bike racer and i always loved riding bikes even when i was younger so when i was doing the kids races i was having fun and i was like all right i'll i'll take a shot at it you know we watched the tour de france every year and I wanted to get there, so I just started racing. It's cool having a brother that's into it as well. I don't have a brother, but I always wish I did have a brother because it's like having like a duplicate version of you. So it's like you can push yourself so far against your yeah. friends, but you can always push yourself harder if I like a duplicate of myself. It's like the ideal training partner. Exactly. I'm sprinting against the fastest guy in the country every time I go train. So it's it's definitely some uh, good training. And what's the trash talk like between the two of you? Who's the faster brother? You know, I can get him uh, on anything that's not downhill. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's heavier than I am. So I always, I always make fun of him because you don't want to do anything that's 1%, 2% or flat. And what happens? what happens when... Uh, other family members are watching you race. Who are they backing? What do they say afterwards when one of you rolls in the head of the other? It just depends on how the race is going. If the race is hard, then they're looking at me to to finish it off. If it's a slightly easier race, then we're all batting on Justin. <laughs> I'm not sure. Is that a compliment to Justin or is that a, a, a slight of backhand there? If it's an easier race, both. we're looking it's to Justin. <laughs> <laughs> it's both. I, I did see one clip where you were talking about, uh, Justin was talking about how his dad rang. It's like, hey, why didn't you let my son win today? And he's like, dude, you have two sons. <laughs> or maybe you have, yeah. you have another brother as well, don't you? Yeah, I have a middle brother, but he's he's not uh, taking it seriously. But yeah, it was uh, Tulsa actually day one. And uh, we took a really bad, we were going so fast and we didn't swing out for the corner. 
but Justin did. So me and Tyler Williams took a really bad line. We came out with no no speed, and he had all the speed. So he got me. I did a really good sprint, so I was really shocked that he passed me. <laughs> I still have nightmares about Tulsa. Tulsa. Is that a, a crybaby hill? Uh, it was the first day, but yeah, crybaby hill was also a really good day for us as well. Oh, I hate that climb. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it was 140 on the top of that climb this year. Oh, wow. my God. I goodness yeah. me. Anthony and I were talking about crit racing before because it's not something that he's done you know, his fair share. It's not something I'm more than one race in familiar with. But there is an element of it which I just find insanely scary and has put me off ever doing it, which is you're kind of accepting that there's going to be a lot of argy-bargy. There's going to be a lot of quacking, as the Belgians <laughs> say, throwing elbows, and, and worse. How, do you, how does that sit with you? And I guess, you know, what's, uh, what's, what's, what's your tactic to deal with that? I mean, I've backed out so many times when I thought there was going to be crashes and, and there was no crash and I felt pretty stupid. But <laughs> now I just accept it, man. I'm like, all right, like if I put myself in the best position, then I'll be safe. If not, you know, if I haven't prepared and I can't put myself in that position, then I risk crashing more than if, you know, I have the strength to be where I need to be. So basically the tactic is to be up front and be where, you know, out of the washing machine, basically. Like, it's super obvious, but so many people miss it. Like, if you're in a bike race, a criterium or otherwise, and there's only, like, two of your teammates in front of you, there's only two chances of people crashing in front of you. If you're, like, 60 riders back, there's 59 people in front of you that can go down. Yeah. And, like, people miss that basic maths. Yep, exactly. Well, I'm, just, I'm just still amazed at, yeah, how many of those pileups, how many of those 60 people in front of you pileups there are when I've seen crit races. And yet people still go back and do them. And some of the worst ones, I'm not sure what it's like in the States, but we have uh, categories one to four for, you know, effectively for amateur riders. And those Cat 3-4 races where you've got very, very enthusiastic riders with not such sharp bike handling skills. And they're strong too. Yeah, they're strong. And they're but they, strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're strong and fast, but they don't know how to ride a bike, man. It's crazy. It's, it's, I just, I'm just amazed anyone like gets into, you know, turns turns 18 if they start racing from a young age or doesn't just get put off. It's a dangerous combination of bad bike handling and speed. Yeah. It's power meters, man. Everybody got a power meter now. They over here doing six watts per kilo and don't know how to ride in a straight line. Well, we were talking about this off air this morning. Uh, one of the calls which James did show up for, uh, we've been, I've been, having, I've been having a go with James because he, he flaked on me. But we were talking like almost anyone can become quite a fast bike rider. But it's like, mm -hmm. it takes so long to become a good bike rider, to become someone with poise, with balance, with elegance, that knows how to like shuffle through the bunch. This takes a long, long time to do. I think they're skipping it now, man. It's it's the, the power meter is, is granting, you know, entry into, into high level races without the practice of like going through these, these categories slower. Like for me, I literally stayed in the, ca the mid category when I was 16 to learn how to win, to learn how to position and do all of these things instead of going straight to the higher level and, you know, just surviving or not even learning, learning how to position because I can't. So I think, uh, a lot of that is being skipped now. I know you guys are sponsored by Swift, but is that CompuTrainer culture contributing to that? Like people are using it instead of, there's a healthy way to use Swift or any of these uh, CompuTrainer games, like as a, like a physiological stimulus to get faster, but it's not the totality of your training preparation. You still need to learn 
how to go around a corner, how to balance, how to move on the bike. And if you just use it as the only thing you use to get ready for bike races, you're not going to be prepared. Yeah, I mean, Zwift racing is actually harder than real life racing because you know, these people <laughs> on Zwift are ridiculous. But <laughs> I think uh, I'm not sure how many Zwift racers actually go out and uh, race on the road because, like you said, it's just different. There's a lot of people around you. You can't you're not stuck onto a trainer. So, yeah, I'm not sure how many of those guys actually have the, the cojones to, to go and do a crit race. And you can't lie about your weight. Nope, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> So do you race with um, um, head units? Do you race with power in the same way that guys on the road race with power in a crit? Yeah, for me, I'm looking down, making sure like I'm I'm saving energy. You get so lost, man, because like you think about it in training, you're just looking at the numbers and making sure you have them where they need to be. And like sometimes you're in a, a race and you're like, "Ah, oh, my numbers are low," but that's a good thing, <laughs> you know. So you got to train yourself to to let go of having a high average power and. For me, I look at it, and if I'm too high, I'll try and like figure out how to get it down, and that's yeah. what I focus on. Well, like the cool thing is with criteriums that you're getting to do the same corner like 50, 60, 70 times. So mm-hmm. it's like you can almost, are you looking at the power meter for that feedback on your line for the corner and go, like, be like, okay, I saved 10 watts. I'm getting a little bit lower out of this corner and position a little bit better. I'm getting that normalized power down, so you're going to have a bit more in the tank for the final. For me, I'm basically not pressing brakes, man. I'm not I'm not uh, checking how I go through these corners because I've done these races so many times. I've been racing for about 20 years now, so it's that's not what I'm checking on. I'm just making sure I'm not like accelerating when the bunch is accelerating. I'm just trying to use momentum around the whole course. Okay, then. So with 20 years' experience, mm-hmm. what do you see as the most common mistakes that could easily be corrected when somebody's cornering? When someone's cornering, I think... Being too close to the wheel in front of you is the biggest mistake you can make because then you don't have any, you, you don't exit the corner with speed if you're like running into the back of the person in front of you. So I think that's the biggest mistake you can make. So then you're like dabbing the brakes because you're coming exactly. into the back of them and then you have to accelerate again to get close that gap. I do. I still do it sometimes when I'm tired, but I, I check myself real quick and then I, I make the adjustments. It's probably quite a hard thing for you to actually put your head into now because it's so second nature to you mm-hmm. but could you describe how you would go into a sharp right hand yeah without another wheel in front of you where you're looking and how how you're leaning and when and when you're braking i mean it's it's funny i just did a, a crit in uh washington dc it has 500 turns in the race the, the course is wow. 1k we do 100k on it <laughs> And yeah, man, people were sliding out left and right, and you kind of just have to ride your own lines because like, this dude like came up front and tried to help us pull. Literally smoked the corner and went straight into the barriers, and I was behind him. And I understood. I was like, he's not gonna make it. He didn't make it. So I I just took my own line. I made it through. And sometimes you just gotta ride your own line. I had this experience I was trying on a few weeks ago. It was hilarious. This motorbike came past me on a descent that I know really well. And as soon as he came past me, because I was like, I was moving on the descent on my road bike. Uh, so he opens up past me on the road bike, and I'm just thinking, he ain't coming out of the corner at that speed. <laughs> and it just turns into this like catastrophic wreckage. Oh, no. And no. I'm like going into the hedge, like looking for this dude. I'm like, are you okay? <laughs> but you get that feeling that like uh uh-oh you can see it yeah you can see it you're like all right you're not coming out of that one (laughs) 
Corey, your footage is brilliant. If ever anyone hasn't seen it, go check out the YouTube channel and the Instagram because it. If you don't race criteriums or you've never been a pro bike racer, this is a fascinating insight that you don't normally get to see. But since we have you on the podcast and we can actually pick your brain, talk to me about those last few laps. Like when you're starting to realize, okay, my guys have control of the front of the bike race. This is going to be a bunch sprint. Like what communication is going on or what's like, are you just executing on a plan that has been laid out beforehand? I mean, yeah, you always have a plan beforehand. A lot of times that's not what actually happens. Like we always plan, but we always have to adjust on the fly. So basically if everything goes right, I'm not saying anything, but slow down. <laughs> These guys, the guys on the team are so talented. Like they still lift really, really hard in the last four laps. So basically I'm yelling at them to slow down if, if I'm not getting any pressure. So that's basically the only thing I say. And you're saying that because, so you just want them to go hard enough to protect your position and not get swamped. Exactly. So it's like minimum effective dose nearly to keep you there. Yeah, because on the last lap, we want to go as fast as possible. We need the guys to have as much energy. So we don't want to be burning matches with four laps to go because then also they're, you know, using some of my sprint legs. And are you sprinting with two of your guys against each other or are you always sprinting for one guy? Uh, usually we, we go... Uh, three guys sometimes you know they, they sometimes <laughs> get us so deep that three of a sprint but yeah for the regular plan it's uh two me and justin in the back and just to run with this uh tread for one second james so if you're looking at the world tour races Corey, and you're seeing like you know morkov leading now cavendish and these amazing lead outs like quick step have it's like who is that lead out dude that you were like if salaries and geographical boundaries didn't exist, who's that lead out dude that you're like, I want him? That's a good question. I remember uh, Mark Renshaw. He was my he's my favorite lead out guy ever. So if I had if I had the money to pay him, I'll get him out of retirement. <laughs> I remember Renshaw. Like there's one famous scene Renshaw when they're in the HTC kit. Remember the white one with the mm-hmm. yellow one? Yeah, sprint for Cav, and he's like button heads with a dude coming yeah. into the finish yeah that was a, a, like an iconic sprint moment it's funny because that what was that 2009 i believe or 2010 uh but he was literally just protecting his bars and so, so these officials aren't bike racers so they have no idea why he had to use his head <laughs> so when it, that's when it all goes right okay you got you got your guys in the right position and you're totally bossing it and you just have to hold it there and just keep repeating until you cross the line and boom, the bell goes, jobs are good. And what happens when it goes wrong? And what was the, when was the last time that happened to you? Take us through a, a lot lately. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, yeah. So when it goes wrong, a lot of times you want you want those extra guys to get out of the way because then they just become bodies around and you don't you can't like move basically so what would happen if someone passes is you know i jump me or justin we jump on the back of the train that passes and we just sprint because at the at the end of the day man the fastest guy is going to win the race you know is that is that true though thinking about just the way that um and i'm just thinking about road racing now but (laughs) sagan just came on the scene blew it apart and then just became a marked man and his he was you know that phrase hoisted by his own petard he was just too good Mm-hmm. and he then destroyed his chances of ever winning ever again. And other things happen to on and off the bike. So it's not just that. Yeah. But do you not find that yourselves? Because you're so high profile in, you know, you're, I'd say, at least in the UK, 
you're kind of a byword for crit racing mm-hmm. in a sense. And so I'm assuming in the States as well, when you show up, people know about you. Mm-hmm. Do you not find yourselves absolutely swamped and just unable to race? I mean, a lot more when I'm home racing locally. Yeah, I can't. And when I get up, there's every, everyone is going. So yeah, yeah. And people that don't ride the front are on the front chasing me down. So I literally have to just beat them into submission and that makes me stronger. But on the the higher level, that's why our team is on the front right away, because instead of us waiting for a gap to become like 30 seconds or 40 seconds, no one's going to help us chase. So that's why we have to ride from the beginning. And it might be boring, but it's the best way for us to win. How do you pick riders for the roster? Because you've got some rock stars with super legs, who like Toy, who's just, you know, they're killers. Mm-hmm. But you guys also have like quite a focus on diversity within the team. Mm-hmm. Is it straight out good bike riders? Is it straight out people who tick the diversity box? Or is it somewhere in between? It's it's just be, being a good rider, man. Like being a good rider and having a good attitude, right? Like we don't care only about riding, but also, you know, it's the amplifier to, to what we're doing. So we make sure that we have the guys that can do the job. And is the message that you guys are trying to put out to the world, is that more important than the bike race results? Or are you still like in your mind, a hardcore bike racer? And I mean, man, it's changing constantly, right? Like, you know, I'm a bike racer at heart, but then when you see like these kids come up to you and they're, they're like in awe, like I still, still not used to it. And you know, it's amazing. So I think winning is, is what make those, you know, kids feel like that maybe, or just seeing someone that is, looks like them doing it. So for me, it's, it's a bit of both, man. I still, for me, love to win bike races. And I also love doing community rides and community uh, get togethers. So could you take us back then to those moments that were, became, as you look back at it now, Legion's inception that led you to the point where, you know, you meet those kids, you go and do those community races, you are a face that is a role model. At what point did you switch from thinking, I'm just going to be a straight up pro racer to no, I'm going to have something a bit more to say than just bike racing? Yeah, I mean... It's, it's still happening right now. Still, my mind is still transitioning over to, to understanding that I'm doing more than racing a bike. So it's still something that's hard to, to understand for me because, you know, I'm just me. So, like, I still look at it like it's cra- It's so crazy to me, you know. So it's still happening. It's, I'm still transitioning over to, to understanding that, you know, it's more than bike racing for people. I struggle with this idea of who am I versus who do I want the world to think I am? Mm-hmm. Do you have like total alignment with that, that like you're just Corey and this, or do you have like a version of Corey that you have to put on when you step outside and the cameras are on? I think the beautiful thing is I'm me all the time. I, and that's, that's who I've been the whole time. You know, I, I carry myself as who I am. I don't like to put on a show for anyone and some people don't like it. Some people love it, you know, and, If I'm myself, I'll be happy. This July, you can get more from the Tour de France men's and femmes with GCN+. That's right, you can watch all 3,328 kilometres of the men's race and 1,029 kilometres of the Tour de France femme live and ad-free with zero interruptions. 
And there are even more ways to watch unmissable on-demand highlights at the touch of a button too, whether that's long-form, short-form, full-stage replays or just the final kilometres. You'll also get unrivaled analysis and expert opinion both before and after each stage in the breakaway show from the likes of Wiggins, Kelly, Contador and more. Pair that with exclusive Tour de France collection of films. GCN Plus is your ultimate Tour de France destination. All our UK listeners can currently get 25% off an annual GCN subscription. All you have to do is head to gcn.eu slash cyclist25. That's gcn.eu slash cyclist25. How did you kind of not just come to terms with having to, uh, you know, stand up and be counted in a different way more than just being a bike racer, but also kind of get your business head on? Because I'm assuming to begin with as well, it was yourself and and Justin Mm -hmm. started the team. And you had to go and get sponsors. You had to like, what What was your pitch to them when they said, well, you know, guys, why are we sponsoring you? And who did you go to first? And what reactions did you get there? What's funny is I always knew that social media was was the way to capture the attention of sponsors. Uh, for me, I always thought it was going to be easy. And it kind of is easy, especially when you have so many people following you, because then you have something to show. It's like kind of like buying a commercial on the Super Bowl, right? You have so many eyes on this thing, and it makes sense to to put your money there. And that's where I knew that our team could be different because I love social media. So for me, social media is the easy part. Uh, I love building it. It's my passion. And Justin is the the pitch guy. So you would have to get him on to tell you what uh what he was selling to the sponsors. Like, does it is it frustrating, uh, Corey? Because I know your backstory. Like, you came up and had frustrations, and success wasn't a straight line. Like, you're on teams, had shit experiences, and the same with Justin. Uh, like, it, it just wasn't a straight line. And I think whether we like to admit it or not, the cycling industry was massively male, white dominated for a long, long time, mm-hmm. and it still is. But the pendulum swung back a little bit in the last few years towards diversity. And you guys have capitalized on that super well. But is it frustrating that you didn't have that level of diversity within the sport when you were trying initially? to? Because there's loads of guys that are in your shoes that the story ends when they encounter the resistance and they don't go on and make Legion. Is, does that annoy you or frustrate you? Uh, I mean, it is It is frustrating. Um, you know, I felt, I feel like, when you see, when you encounter someone that has potential and talent, uh, you baby it and you you grow it and you use it to your benefit. But I feel like in cycling, they want they just throw you in a deep end, right? Like if I find someone that has a lot of talent, I'll I'll definitely help them out and try and get them to a level where they can be successful. I don't feel like I still don't feel like that's a thing in cycling. Like you have to be a freak or you're done. So that's what it is. And that's that's what we're trying to be different. Um, we've done a really bad job of fostering like personalities. If you think about every other sport, like the athletes are the stars. Exactly. In cycling, the athletes aren't really the stars, but you guys have built it where it's star focused. Yeah, I mean, it's it's common sense, man. Like in ba- you see it in every other sport, right? The, the 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 athlete is a star and the athlete is the main focus. But in cycling, like 
you're lucky to be on the team. And I just don't see that true. I, I feel like there's so much more to get from the athletes, and that's that's where you get the actual fandom. And that's why we struggle with fandom. That's why no one has a favorite team, really. But with that fandom, you're really connected to that, or, or with, with the mode in which that fandom comes about and exists, just, you're really connected through social media. You can talk directly to your fans, but also your fans have got all eyes on you and they can see and record and have screen grabs of your every move. What kind of dimension of pressure does that bring to the whole thing? Because that's it's a bit like you're, you're being watched all the time. How must that feel? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. But what's, what's funny is, man, a lot of the times, well, most of the people that support us, it don't matter if we win or lose, right? Like, and, and I've seen this time and time again, like we, we've been struggling a little bit late lately, but they still come over after the race. and Oh, you guys did a great job. And they still want their photos. They still want their signatures. And that's where you have to realize like, shit, like the racing matters to me. It don't matter to the people over here. They're just like so happy that we're here. And that's where like, after you lose, you know, you can be mad. But you have to understand that, you know, people are watching you and you can't you can't rub them the wrong way because they're supporting you. And like, do you still have that chip on your shoulder? Like you think about any great athlete like basketball, you Jordan getting caught from so many teams Mm -hmm. over here. Mixed martial arts is big. I mean, Conor McGregor coming up through a real poverty going on to like dominate the mixed martial arts world. The, a commonality with a lot of those stars is they have a chip on their shoulder. Just like they're sticking it to the institutions. They're saying, I'll succeed in spite of these limitations you've put on me. You've gone and you've in, it succeeded in the US in spite of those limitations. But now it's like, as the phrase goes, you need to earn it again. You need to get up every day and you need to earn it again and again. Is there a temptation to sort of just drift into this cozy, oh, I'll be the brand ambassador for uh, Legion? Of course not. <laughs> of course not man I, I grew up playing sports like I've been on football teams where I've won every game in a season and I've lost every game in a season and, and the goal always remains the same is to win I love winning I hate losing I like I hate losing more than I love winning you know so <laughs> always gonna have that chip on my shoulder forever man I, I'm here to, to win bike races like regardless of fans regardless of anybody for, for me for my mental you know, that's that's what I want to do. You think that chip is important? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Because when you lose, man, if you're, if you're okay with it, you come home and you do the same thing you've been doing, that's an issue. Like, for me, I'm right back to work. Like, I rode before this, and I'm going to ride again today. And I'll do everything perfect until the next race so that I, I can be successful. What was little Corey's? So nine-year-old Corey, what was your reaction to losing? So we we all used to be terrible losers as kids. What? How did you cope with it or not? Oh, it was bad. I was a terrible loser, man. I hated losing. I used to cry. You were cry? Would you? Would you like throw your throw your bike or throw your helmet on the floor? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't throw my bike, but I would just be very disappointed, and I would I would literally cry. But I hated it. <laughs> I was a soccer player and man, my house was frosty if we lost a football match. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Even if we won a football match, but I played bad, the house was frosty. I was not a good person to be around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting one, actually, Anthony. That, that idea of, um, and it always just springs into my mind, um, the uh, Billy Hoyle character in, uh, in White Man Can't Jump, where he's just like, he's having this chat about winning and losing. And it's just like, would you rather play well and win 
or play badly and lose? And how does that sit with you? Would you rather do everything right and then just like someone else on your team messes up in the sprint and you don't win? Or would you rather kind of just like just win anyway, but, you know, put in a bad performance? The special thing about this team or or for me is that win or lose, we did something wrong most of the time. I have my camera on and we go back and we watch it. So it's it's never a perfect job. Like, yeah, I'm happy about it, but, you know, not all all the time. I'm the type of person that's mad even when we win sometimes. (laughs) I hate to be teammates with you. Video footage of how much I messed up. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, man, you cannot lie to me. I record everything. Do you have uh, do you, do you record with bike cameras? Yeah. I have a camera on the back of my bike and one on my helmet looking forward. Is that a kind of is that a Legion specific thing or or rather a Corey Williams specific thing or is that something that crit, more crit racers have in America? Uh it's uh definitely a thing I started in 2010. I think I was one of the first people to start racing with a GoPro. Yeah. You know, it just scares me. Yeah. Like it, it scares me a lot. It looks like a a lever to break my neck onto the top of the helmet. It looks like it's going to hurt if I hit the deck. I mean, if you flip and land on the back of your helmet, that I, that's a bad thing anyway. So <laughs> I've crashed plenty, I've crashed plenty of times with the GoPro on. It's It's been fine. You know, it's, it's definitely, if you read the small print in uh, helmet manufacturer's safety yeah. standards, it's like Don't you avoided... Yeah, yeah. It's like back at Dremel back in the day with skate helmets. And they used to everyone used to stick stickers on their skate helmets or mountain bike helmets. And it would just instantly void the warranty. That's it was some spurious claim that you would slide more if you had you know, they <laughs> couldn't guarantee that you weren't putting very slidey stickers on your helmet, oh, which would just God. make you you skid more if you crashed. Anything to get out of it. I wish I had a GoPro on the other day. I was out gravel riding on a descent. And you know when the descent gets so steep that you're you're full on the brakes, but you're speeding up and you're like, Uh-oh. oh no, this is a bad <laughs> place to be. And I just ended up like over the bars on my back and you're kind of looking around going, I really hope no one's seen that. <laughs> but I just don't, I don't understand why cycling, or, you know, cycling bodies, whether they're the, the sports teams or whether they're the governing bodies, don't seem to want to really push the camera agenda because it for a, a split second um when the kind of riders unionized and had velon then we saw some cameras under seats in grand tour races and it's kind of just disappeared again why do you think that is i i think there's a lot of sketchy stuff that goes on in the bike race that people don't see and and people don't understand that that's just what it is bike racing is sketchy as hell and like a lot of people think i promote like sketchy racing and a lot of times like i'm literally the guy with the camera on showing the sketchy shit that's happening i'm not doing anything sketchy like i'm literally there riding and there's stuff i'm like i'm literally showing you what i see and a lot of people love that like a lot of people love seeing what actually happens in a bike race what's the what's the sketchiest thing you've seen uh (laughs) i mean that's like every every crit man (laughs) it's like every crit i've been in some crashes that are are shit i've been in almost crashes you know just 
Regular argy-bargy. I've got a good crash, actually, from the US that could top your list of crashes. So wiped out on a corner in Delray Beach doing the NC Secret down mm, there. Yeah. Went over the fence, through the crowd, and there was these, like, four girls having dinner, like, sitting out on the patio, straight into their table, like, flat <laughs> out, like, knocked everything off the table, like, skin suit <laughs> bust, collarbones bust. They're like, oh, can I get you anything? Are you okay? Do you want an ambulance? I'm like, can you get me a whiskey? A and they're whiskey. like, seriously? I'm <laughs> like yeah no seriously so i sat there and i had a whiskey with them i was like i had two hours sitting there drinking my management <laughs> team lost their minds that's hilarious i wish you got that one on gopro i uh, know right also, awesome uh sort of retort to get to crashing sitting out that's very kind of james bond did you dust yourself off pull your, <laughs> pull your collar your, your cuffs up from under your suit and just sit down how can i have a whiskey Man, skin suits and tuxedos and James Bond, like we're at the opposite end of the spectrum here. There's nothing cool about that skin suit. No, I do. No, no, no. Well, I'm thinking this is, you know, this is Cipollini. I'm not really sure if you mentioned his name these days. He's been cancelled. But this, you know, this is this has got um, Seiko written all over it. Or um, like uh, like Carrera jeans, like Pantani and um, uh, Fignon's old, you know, those old skin suits that look a little bit like you're wearing jeans and a cool pair of kind of like weird lead hosing. You could do it with tuxedos. They're shaking their heads. They're dead nope. against this. <laughs> uh, Corey, so when I look at Legion, you guys started with a vision. It wasn't just randomly, or at least externally, it looks like you started with a vision, a destination yeah. that you wanted to go to. If you zoom out and you look at what the next five years is, the next 10 years is, like, how do you think Legion will be judged? I think, you know, with all the community work we do, uh, I think people will judge us you know, kindly. I think right now, just seeing us and just because we win so much, a lot of the times people are just hating on us and, and saying bad things. But man, we go to these states and we like get, we build bikes for children. We give bikes away when we win bike races. We go into the community, talk to people like we are doing so much things in the background that, you know, we don't, we don't have to brag about it because we're doing the right thing. And I think when people notice that, I think all of the the negative noise will go away. People just love to hate on you guys. Oh, it's yeah. What, what I heard you saying, they hate us because they ain't us. <laughs> but the one big one that stands out in my mind in recent years is you ran the race last year and it was like turned into a huge controversy about the checks to pay the prize money. And mm-hmm. I, I couldn't understand this at all because... Like, I, I still get checks in the door from, like, 2017 <laughs> for races that I've got. I'm like, <laughs> prize money doesn't get paid instantly. Hey, man, when when you have all the eyes on you, people are going to pick and choose what they want to, like, cry about. It's it's funny because we, that same year, we did a, a stage race that we haven't received money for, uh, for it was, like, three months later, and the, the same girl that, complained about the money was the one that didn't get the check as well from the other race so just because it was us they had a had to make a big deal about it so is the money from racing enough if it is paid on time right Mm -hmm. is it enough to and that and the sponsorship enough to keep the team going at a full professional capacity or do you have riders who have got day jobs or you know part-time jobs uh no one no one on our team has a day job. We pay we pay them enough to to do it full time. Would you think of expanding the program into Europe? Uh, I don't think so, man. I think uh, for us, we want to focus on trying to build something here, so that you know, if Europe is not your thing, 
that you you can continue to race bikes and you don't have to quit. Uh, it's really important for us. Or even I'm thinking about cities like London, who again cycling is a massively middle to upper class mm-hmm. male white dominated sport. Like basically, the world of cycling needs a sprinkle of diversity, and mm. like it or not, you guys need to do some the sprinkling. <laughs> yeah, I mean we we were supposed to do the Tour of Britain uh 2020 we were supposed to do the tour series but it was at it was conflicting with i think tulsa or something so i it just hasn't lined up but i think for sure we're probably going to make a trip over there i know i'm going to birmingham uh for the commonwealth games in about a month's time so i'll be over there pretty soon do you sort of feel like doing something like the tour of britain is obviously or you know if you if you were to have done it would be um, incredibly important to demonstrate being a role, like to be a role model for, uh, you know, pushing that diversity agenda um, and also just pushing people into bike racing who might not otherwise feel like it's a natural fit for them. Yeah. That, I, that's kind of for you, you yeah. guys. But do you see, what kind of role do you see the brands as having in that? Do you think it's also important for them to be doing it or kind of not turning on its head, but thinking about that question from that cynical point of view, which is, do you ever feel like brands are kind of cashing in on what you guys are doing, which is good and leveraging their own, you know, building their own reps up Mm -hmm. by aligning themselves with someone, you know, with a a group of people who uh, are doing something that they aren't able to do themselves and haven't naturally done before. Yeah. I mean, if it's genuine, then it works, right? Like, they, they should benefit from helping because they are helping, uh, which a lot of our sponsors, that's how we choose because, like, we can basically almost work with anyone at this point. And, like, we choose the people that are genuine and, and are actually trying to change it and, and help. So I think uh, they should benefit from it. Who's the who's the branding man, Corey? Is uh, you the branding masterclass or is that Justin? I'm definitely the, the, the branding masterclass. <laughs> Justin is, a, Justin is a, the brand... Uh, the branded talker he loves the he loves to talk and he gets our message across really well so like what's the process of hitting out to do build relationships with these brands are these people you have you know relationships with pre-existing or because there's a we're talking about stress on the bike and not just being a bike rider and this is the part that a lot of people don't see because quick step gets to go out race their bike come home recover in a hotel people lift their bags make their food everything is done for them for you guys you're going out riding your bikes now you're balancing family stuff but you're also on the side having to hustle to do brand deals mm-hmm. because no sooner is this season starting than this season is finishing and you need to do the deals for next season yeah exactly that's that's the point we're at right now and and yeah a lot of people don't see that but you know we we make time for it uh you know days are just busy man and we we have to get it done you know it's our livelihood it's it's everyone on our team's livelihood so we won't complain about it we'll just get it done i don't think i asked you last time you were on the podcast what's the tree nine in the center of legion so basically, we grew up on 39th Street in uh, South Central. So it's just a tie back to where we grew up. Looks cool. Thank you. What was what was the what was the kind of scene when you grew up? Because um, yeah, I just think of like this kind of bikes that we were riding when we were kids, mm-hmm. um, and looking at what kids are riding now in London. And this, there's this scene where it's just all about being able to pop wheelies, yeah. right? So it's yeah, and it's kind of almost come off the back of like, do you remember, again, I don't know if it's more of a kind of internet meme, but like scraper bikes. Yeah, I remember. People just having 
mad like stereo systems yeah, and yeah. like gaudy <laughs> yeah pearls and stuff all over these weird yeah. old beach cruisers is it so yeah have you got the wheelie kids so no i didn't have the wheelie kids actually i had the fixie kids i remember uh in high school fixie was was a big deal and, and dudes used to think that they could beat me on the bike and i just laugh at them like i would destroy you <laughs> <laughs> There's a guy in Girona, and Girona's like the home of cycling here in Europe. He is the king of this wheelie. I see him, so I only ever see him at like two in the morning or something when I'm coming back from the pub. But he cycles around Girona, popping a wheelie with no front wheel. That's like he ridiculous. leaves the house with no front wheel. That's techers. Yeah, I mean, that's what the kids are doing nowadays, man. I think that's like the advanced level of, of these wheelie gods right now. Yeah, there's some incredible videos. There's a guy called... Um I'll have to think of his name afterwards, but uh, it is the, it's the wheelie, it's the popping the wheel. But they do it around um, like subway stations, tube stations, and he'll ride up to a set of stairs really fast, and he's undone his quick release, and he'll flick his bars, and the wheel will roll up to the top of the stairs, roll all the way down. And obviously, they, you know, they've got to have a couple of takes on this, and it will roll back down, and he'll chase after it, oh pop his forks back God. down on top of it. It is just nuts. And you kind of think, like, I don't know how you can if there's a way of like getting a, a legion sponsored team over here for these kids, cause it's like, where's the outlet for that? Cause that is a mad skill that will probably, they'll just stop doing that at some point And it just, yeah. won't, you know, but it feels like there should be money to be made from someone. That's like circus level freak ability. Better get on YouTube, man. And start making some highlight videos. <laughs> uh, Corey, to finish up, what's the next 12 months look like? If we, if you, if you came back on cyclist mag podcast in 12 months and it's been a just, a dream 12 months what's what's that look like you know it's crazy i, I couldn't really tell you because uh, it's, it's just going so fast that even when we think you know this is where we'll be in 12 months it's just like magnified it's just the ball is just getting it's just rolling faster and faster and faster and like i i couldn't tell you man because we we tried to predict it already but it's just changed so many times and obviously, Justin's a bit closer to the end of his competitive career than you are. But are you guys starting to think about this like a legacy franchise where you're thinking, well, who's who's after the Williams brothers? What's the next guy in? How do we maintain this brand consistency moving forward? Of course. Uh, I think right now uh, the, the kids that we are, we are uh, inspiring are a bit younger. I think we'll see it in maybe five years, 10 years time that there's just, you know, a bunch of kids that, look like us doing it and and hopefully we've created something that could sustain it as a profession Corey, uh look it's been a pleasure chatting to you again on the podcast and i hope you'll come back and join us and keep us posted on what is happening with legion as it develops and hope you get a bit of sleep of course man yeah my whoop is uh looking a bit bit ragged so hopefully i can get that <laughs> score up <laughs> cheers Corey. thank you guys nice one thanks Corey. This July, you can get more from the Tour de France men's and femmes with GCN+. That's right, you can watch all 3,328 kilometres of the men's race and 1,029 kilometres of the Tour de France femme live and ad-free with zero interruptions. And there are even more ways to watch unmissable on-demand highlights at the touch of a button too, whether that's long-form, short-form, full-stage replays or just the final kilometres. 
You'll also get unrivaled analysis and expert opinion, both before and after each stage in the breakaway show from the likes of Wiggins, Kelly, Contador and more. Pair that with exclusive Tour de France collection of films. GCN Plus is your ultimate Tour de France destination. All our UK listeners can currently get 25% off an annual GCN subscription. All you have to do is head to gcn.eu slash cyclist25. That's gcn.eu slash cyclist25. Okay, so Anthony, first podcast down, first great guest, Corey Williams. Uh, I'm definitely not going to take up crit racing anytime soon. He doesn't make it sound fun. It certainly looks pretty bloody scary. Um, but what he has done is create something which isn't, I don't know, it's it's the diversity thing, which is cool, which is amazing. It's the bike racing thing, which is cool. But it's also, like you just said earlier, making personalities out of bike racing or bike racers, which I think is mega because that's one of the things I think we've lost and people lament it through, you know, the wearing of sunglasses and helmets, but it's also the way that things are captured and it's the way that teams tell their riders to be. And I'd love to see more personality coming back into it. And this is one of the ways it's going to happen. Well, you know what? They're doing really well. It just um, It's why all the listeners are tuning into this podcast right now. It's why my podcast is blown up. It's storytelling. We've always yeah. loved this idea of sitting around the family dinner table, sitting around the fire and listening to stories. And we tell it in audio form. Corey tells it in a visual form. And what looks to him like a roadblock at the moment, having the kid, it's like I'm not sleeping so well. It's a really interesting story feature because no one likes to see that straight line success. And I know Corey hasn't had straight line success. He's had a lot of setbacks and had to overcome diversity issues and bigotry and, you know, battles for contracts. But this is just the latest setback. And we just love a hero that has some adversity, has to battle through it, and then triumphs. No one likes that straight line success. I started out, I won the race, everything was great. We're just a begrudging culture and we don't like that. No, well, yeah, exactly. There's nothing worse than natural talent except for natural talent that finds success. That is that is just the, yeah, that's the absolute worst. So, yeah, no, I'm in, in total agreement. But one thing where you talk about sort of like natural talent rising to the top and people just having, you know, people just doing really very difficult things. I just thought about it when we we're talking about these kids doing popping their wheelies and that kind of like tricky, tricksy bike scene. Have you seen a documentary um, with uh, this Italian fellow from the 1980s, I think. He's called Giuliano Calori. Oh. And he, he cycled down the Stelvio no-handed. <laughs> so from 2,800 and something metres, he cycled down it no-handed. And then he did another attempt where he was like playing a flute or something. And this guy, he's like in his 60s doing it. And it's just those little stories. And I was just think like, if that guy was alive today and he had an Instagram following, like Instagram presence, imagine what he'd be like. Imagine if he had Legion backing him. I've never known a man that lights up as much as you do when you're talking about someone doing bike tricks, wheelies, no-handed stuff. No, but the thing is, the thing with that man is, it's just it that, that what what I see when I see people doing that is the absolute joy of cycling. And what I often see in cycling and I see my, in myself when I look in the mirror when I'm kitted up and I'm going out for a ride and I see in the faces of other people when I'm on the start line for a sportive it's it's just too serious and what I, and also you know that's one of the things that is great about the storytelling that Legion are doing is 
there's there's fun there, isn't there? There's engagement because it's fun. There's engagement because it looks like they're just really enjoying what they're doing. And that's what I see on the face of that kid popping a wheelie through traffic. Yes, if his mum saw him doing that without a helmet, she would have an absolute heart attack. And he's probably broke his arm several times. But that's pure bicycling joy. And that is what we're lacking so much, I think, in road cycling. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there. He drops the mic. When we zoom out and look at Legion 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, I think that's when it becomes interesting. Will it make that step into i don't think brands get to choose if they're iconic like nike never got a choice to say the air force one or the jordan was going to be an iconic shoe history has to say that these brands are iconic so it's going to be really interesting to see if legion is one of these enduring iconic brands that has inspired a totally different demographic into the sport that we all love Mm. no yeah that is absolutely true and as Corey said at the end you know he can't predict that. He doesn't know where, where Legion's going, where the brand's going, where the team will go, and only time will tell. But, yeah, one thing's for sure, it is a really interesting story to be following. And, yeah, they don't half make bike racing look cool. James, it's been a pleasure. Podcast one. Absolutely. Down, done and dusted. Right, let's go have a pint in our <laughs> respective locations. One day, one day, maybe we shall meet in person, but today will not be that day. I like the idea of you. I'm not sure if you like the idea of me in person. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll catch you on the next episode. Nice one, dude. This episode of the Cyclist Magazine podcast is brought to you by Hammerhead. The Hammerhead Carew 2 is a GPS cycling computer that helps you unlock your truest potential and find your path forward. James, what feature particularly stands out for you on the Carew 2? It's the Carew 2's responsive touchscreen display. It's high resolution, full color, 3.2 inch screen makes it easy to read all my data, even when I'm suffering up a climb. While Hammerhead claims the scratch resistant Dragon Trail glass can withstand my gnarly gravel rides and some pretty horrific British weather too. For a limited time, our listeners can get a free custom color kit and exclusive premium water bottle with the purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo 2. All you have to do is visit hammerhead.io right now, add all three items into your cart and use the promo code CYCLISTPOD at checkout to get yours today. This is an exclusive limited time offer only for Cyclist Podcast listeners. So don't forget to use Cyclist's special promo code. That's hammerhead.io promo code cyclistpod and get your carry to and a free custom color kit and premium water bottle today.